Yippee-ki-yay, melon farmers. We're ending 2020 the only way we know how, with explosions. Welcome, everyone, to Rebooted, the podcast where we are recasting classic movie reboots so Hollywood doesn't have to. This week, we are talking about the Christmas movie. Yes, it is a Christmas movie, Die Hard, starring Bruce Willis, Reginald Vell Johnson, Bonnie Bedelia, and Alan Rickman. I got a chance to watch this over Thanksgiving when I briefly uh-huh. was home, uh, and it got me into a deep dive into this whole franchise. Okay. And I gotta say, hot take, Die Hard 2 is more of a Christmas movie than Die Hard 1. Really? Something about the winter wonderland of Die Hard 2, I just feel like, puts it over over the top. And it's just like more festive in the beginning, but we're not here to talk about that sequel. We're here to talk about the original. Yep. That was a weird way to end that segment. <laughs> Yeah, I'm still here. Unless you want to open a front door for me. No, I'm afraid not. But you have me at a loss. You know my name, but who are you? Just another American who saw too many movies as a child. Another orphan of a bankrupt culture who thinks he's John Wayne, Rambo, Marshall Dillon. I was always kind of partial to Roy Rogers, actually. I really like those sequined shirts. Do you really think you have a chance against us, Mr. Cowboy? Yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker. I mean, arguably that's not great writing, but it plays so well. Well, <clears throat> they didn't write that line. I think he ad-libbed the... He either ad-libbed the whole thing or he ad-libbed the motherfucker part. Mm. And when he did it, everyone apparently on set just started laughing. They were like, that's so dope. But um, (laughs) yeah, but it works. Like this whole movie is so insane. Like it really is sort of a pivot point for action movies that uh, really have affected the last 25, 30 years of action movies. So Mm -hmm. here we are, Die Hard. I know I said earlier that like in conversations – in text that this I wasn't sure if this was a Christmas movie. I do think it is a Christmas movie. It is. It counts. I mean, counts. most Chris I watched White Christmas with my roommate last night and she was sort of commenting on how she's like it's not a Christmas movie. And I was like, "Well, yeah, it is. Like it takes place around Christmas and they sing a Christmas song. Like the movie doesn't have to involve Santa Claus to be a Christmas movie. Like this is a Christmas <laughs> movie. They're having a Christmas party that gets interrupted by terrorists. <laughs> bank robbers. Bank, they're, bank robbers. they're bank robbers. They're not terrorists. But um, yeah, I mean, we've all been there. Classic Christmas scenario. <laughs> Very classic Christmas scenario. I, I've been to Christmas parties where I wished bank robbers showed up just so I could. Wow. Fucking not talk to anyone. I've been to some bad Christmas parties. <laughs> you would rather be a hostage than I'd rather have been a hostage. I felt like I was one. Um, all right, guys, welcome to Rebooted. I am Brian Flynn. With me, as always, in the Nakatomi Tower is Kenna Trent. Kenna, how are you doing? It's our last one of the year. It is. We're doing it. What a year! What a year it was. <laughs> We're further apart than we've ever been, and the world is insane. It's also crazy because I feel like 
we keep being like, uh, tw- goodbye 2020. So over 2020. And I'm like, things are going to be the same in 2021. <laughs> I think it's ironic that I we are watching Die Hard because I watched all of these movies and I just feel like we're all going to be John McClane in 2021. Like, how does the same thing keep happening to the same guy over and over again? It's just like, how does how do things just keep getting worse and worse? There's a part I can't remember which Die Hard this was, but there's a part in the one where Jai Courtney plays his son and they're working At together. Five. five. Mm-hmm. Um, the only thing I remember, I remember going to see this movie in theaters. But the only thing I remember is that he is on, supposed to be on vacation, and so when stuff starts going down, he just keeps yelling, "I'm on vacation!" On fucking vacation! And there's something so special and surreal about it where like there's so many points where like you have that feeling of like i'm not supposed to be dealing with this why are we dealing with this where i just want to scream i'm on vacation because i feel like john mcclain fighting larger and larger organizations of crime when i'm (laughs) just trying to live my life literally literally to save your life and the lives of others it's true Um, it's true anyways Kenan and I are going to pick this Hollywood classic movie and talk about it as if it was to be remade today. Ironically, this movie has lasted over the years, spawning four sequels, a potential TV show, um, inspiring movies across the board. Um, And talk about it as if Die Hard was going to be remade today. But before we do that, we like to talk about some actual reboot news. So we're going to start off with... um, this very strange piece of news about the Toxic Avenger. Um, it's like, a I don't know how many people know the Toxic Avenger. Uh, Kenna, you're a horror fanatic. This might be something that you, you know, know a little bit about. But I remember the Toxic Avenger from the cartoon in the 90s. Mm-hmm. But essentially, it was like a B movie, maybe even like a C movie that was made for like $10,000 about a janitor who is transformed via toxic waste into (laughs) a like guardian of a New Jersey suburb or something. Meet little Melvin. He's a 90 pound weekly. Everyone hated Melvin. I'm going to take this mop and shove it down your throat. They teased him. I want to do it with you. Okay. They taunted him. They tormented him until he had a horrifying accident and fell into a vat of nuclear waste. Um, This is from Deadline. Peter Dinklage, our beloved Peter Dinklage, continues to build a strong film slate in his post-Game of Thrones career and looks to have found his next big project. He's set to star in Legendary's new Toxic Avenger movie. Macon Blair is on board to direct a contemporary reimagining of Troma Entertainment's successful 1984 low-budget action comedy the Toxic Avenger is steeped in environmental themes and subverts the superhero genre in the vein of Deadpool. When a struggling everyman is pushed into a vat of toxic waste, he transformed into a f- mutant freak, freak, who must go from shunned outcast to underdog, uh, underdog hero as he races to save his son, his friends, and his community from the forces of corruption and greed. Um, this is I really cool. Care- this is cool. I didn't care. I, I heard that they were trying to make this movie. Kevin Smith talks about this on his podcast about how he had been approached to do this movie. And like, they were like, yeah, the budget's going to be like a hundred million dollars. And he was like, the first one was made for $10,000. Like, <laughs> I'm not the guy for this. Yeah. Um, but 
I don't, I didn't care about this until Peter Dinklage, right? Like, this is really cool. Like, I think Peter Dinklage, great actor, great serious uh, drama actor, but also very funny. I think we get we get snippets of this in. I I was rewatching um, pieces of Between Two Ferns, the movie, the other day. And just mm-hmm. like thinking about how much fun it is to see Peter Dinklage be funny in that sort of like dark comedy kind of way. I think this is like, yes, I agree with any other casting. It might've been like, oh, okay, they're doing this for some reason. This piques my interest. It does. I, I think it would, I think it's, I mean, it's great for Peter Dinklage to get a leading role. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think that this is, this could be cool. Like this could be kind of like a punk rock remake of something that no one cares about, but could live today in today's mm-hmm. sort of entertainment sphere. Yeah. Um, and I can't wait to watch it on HBO Max. And <laughs> <laughs> um, It'll be great. Okay. Should we move on to something that, in a weird way, makes a lot of sense, but I don't think anybody cares about. NBC is developing Vantage Point, a character-driven thriller drama series based on the 2008 Sony movie. The TV adaptation comes from the film's writer, Barry Levy, and producer... uh, We don't care about producers. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I mean... Unless they want to give us money, and then we do. I was going to say, what I mean is, is, I care about producers. I feel like our listeners absolutely do. The film starred Dennis Quaid, Matthew Fox, Forrest Whitaker, William Hurt, Sigourney Weaver, and told the story of an assassination attempt on the president of the United States through the vantage points, get it, of different characters. Eight strangers. What brings you here? Just looking for a little excitement. Each with a different vantage point. Each will become the president has been shot a piece of the puzzle there was something in that window i saw something too on february 22nd you need to see your tapes oh my god what did he say can they solve the puzzle get off before it's too late there's something else going on here i mean i remember when the movie came out like i remember going to see it i think i only watched this once and i remember people kind of being like oh this is um like what a cool take what a fresh idea which it's really not like (laughs) telling movies (laughs) novel (laughs) telling movies from multiple perspectives is not like something that they created but like it is it is an interesting conceit of like looking at the different people in and around a big event but Mm -hmm. it, it it makes sense what's a big event I haven't been to, I don't know what that is anymore. <laughs> I was talking about an assassination, but yeah, no, big event in general. <laughs> oh, yeah. I just, I don't remember things with more than four people anymore. Who are people? Um, yeah, I, I see this as perfect NBC uh, TV fodder. Will I watch it? <laughs> um, probably not. How is this not designated survivor? I think it just, it all just like lives in that same world. Mm-hmm. It's a world I don't a live in. Intrigue. 
Here's, but, the, here's a, a deeper question, and I don't mean to bump people out, reminding us of all of our political problems as we try and get into the fun of Die Hard. But do people care about political intrigue at all? Is there room for a presidential assassination movie or TV show? Is that something that this time and and, and moment wants like i couldn't care less like yeah even if like aaron sorkin was like i'm bringing the west wing back and it's gonna be the greatest show on tv i'd be like fuck that like i don't want to see yeah anything about the president for a long time yeah don't i'm so just actually tired that i just i don't know i don't know what this show is gonna be like Yeah, I agree. I think we're sort of past the, like when the West Wing came out, it was like, ooh, it's so interesting to see the inner workings of politics. Even like Veep, I think, lives in that space where it was like, oh, it's fun to like see the comedy and what we take so seriously and how it's all one big game. Like, yeah, that's fun to see. Do I think that that stuff could be introduced to us today and we'd still be like, ooh, fun, like this is the walks and talks like, Ooh, this is how it happens. This is how the deals are made. I think we're all so much more aware of how political politics is (laughs) and how like fake and disgusting politicians are like, like, I think we're, we're past the sort of like, Ooh, tell us the gritty details of, of how the American political system works. Cause we're in it. We are mired in that. But I don't. I don't know what the redemption of that is. I don't know what sort of um, what takes the place of political intrigue then for like CBS and NBC dramas. (laughs) I know. I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. Maybe it's like maybe it's something on a smaller scale. Like maybe if it was something like local government. Like what was that show with like Hugh Jackman? It was like a miniseries or was a movie? Oh, with Allison Janney. Yeah, like I could see stuff like that where it's like this is a really intriguing story about like one part of a very small local government like that. I I get like that's fine. But like just the overall structure of the executive branch (laughs) pass hard pass on anything about the president for a long time. Mm -hmm. Um, Anywho, that's my take. Vantage point. Good luck. Uh, I'm sure I'll (laughs) see ads for you during – you know, Sunday night football for the rest of my life, but, um, mm-hmm. pass. <laughs> and that's it. That's it from us. We will not watch your crappy <laughs> show NBC. Suck it. I didn't watch a crappy movie when it came out. I'm not going to watch a crappy movie next time. Come at me with better stuff. Oh man. I'm begging like I'm begging NBC to show me something I want to see. Absolutely not. I can't wait to go out to interview for a staffing position on this show. <laughs> Just come and bite me in the ass. Oh, I would write the crap out of the show. Oh, but, I uh, would write the crap out of this show. But would I watch sure. it? Eh, maybe not. <laughs> All right. Let's get to let's get to die hard, right? That's why people are here. That's why people tuned in. Yeah, this is this is why we're here. This is why you're here. Let's do it. All right, guys. This is our reboot of Die Hard. What idiot put you in charge? You did. When you murdered my boss. 
Now everybody's looking to me. Personally, I pass on the job. I don't enjoy being this close to you. Go on. We have a pregnant woman out there. Relax, she's not due for a couple of weeks, but sitting on that rock isn't doing her back any good. So I would like permission to move her to one of the offices where there's a sofa. No, but I'll have a sofa brought out to you. Good enough? Good enough. And unless you like it messy, I'd start bringing us in groups to the bathroom. Yes, you're right. It will be done. Was there something else? No, thank you. Mr. Takagi chose his people well, Mrs. Gennaro. Miss Gennaro. Smooth. So smooth. I feel like I'll expose myself. I think I think really hard about the clips I pick for us to watch. And it upsets me so much when I can't find the right stuff on YouTube. But I love, honestly, these two, like the first clip we heard of uh, John, like talking to Hans and how smooth he is about being like, I know all your people's names. I can hear what you're doing. I know your plan, but you don't know anything about me. So like trying to get under his skin in that way and just mm-hmm. how like good he is at knowing what to do in an environment where like nobody knows what to do. And then to see on the other side of that, his wife, like the perfect match of her being the one to be like unafraid, telling Hans what she wants, telling him how it's going to be. And even having again, the wherewithal to, they like are without ever talking, like they know how to protect themselves and each other in such an interesting way. Ah, it's so good. This movie is great. There throughout this whole series that just sort of seems that like when John McClane isn't trying to save the world, he is instructing his family how to like handle themselves in terrorist situations. Like <laughs> Holly being able to know like that fucking William Atherton is like airing the news broadcast from the bathroom and that that has to stop or else the bad guys will know what's going on and target their plane. Mm-hmm. Um, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, like knowing Krav Maga <laughs> to like survive being kidnapped um, and like Jai Courtney becoming like a CIA operative. Like it, it all feels that when John McClane is like, after he like cleans up, gets his stitches, stitches and goes home, he's like, by the way, <laughs> no, like don't, ever give terrorists any information that they don't already have. Like it is very fun <laughs> to see that the McLeans have this sort of um they just know. They just know each other and they know what to do. They know they're prepared. And that's why mm-hmm. we like them that they're smarter than the bad guys. Yeah. Um you're right. I think you're absolutely right. Um Die Hard came out in 1988. It was a one of a kind action movie directed by John McTiernan, director of such Classic action movies as Predator, Hunt for Red October, and my personal favorite Die Hard movie, Die Hard with a Vengeance, uh, the third installment in the franchise. It stars Bruce Willis as John McClane, the iconic John McClane, um, Alan Rickman as the iconic Hans Gruber. I might be going out of order of what we listed uh, earlier, but Bonnie Bedelia as Holly Gennaro McClane, and Reginald Vell Johnson as Sergeant Al Powell. Um, 
So I, I just wrote a little list of movies that Die Hard has inspired over mm-hmm. the years. Um, Speed. For sure. Con Air. Mm-hmm. Air Force One. Yes. The Rock. Absolutely. Olympus has, Olympus has Fallen. White mm-hmm. House Down. Toy Soldiers. Under Siege. Passenger 57. Skyscraper. And on and on and on and on. Like, I mean, we know that like Michael Bay saw this movie. However old he was and was like, oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) I have never seen anything like this before in my life. And I'm going to make it my goal to make this look like a tiny drop in what will become a storm of explosions (laughs) and hero shots. Absolutely. This is the basis of that whole genre. Totally. I, I'm just like, how many times have you heard it's die hard on a this? It's die right. hard in a this. It's die hard in a hotel. It's die hard on a boat. It's die hard on a bus. It's die hard on a plane. It's die hard in the White House. It's die hard, die hard, die hard. It's a guy in a situation that he's not supposed to be in. And because he has a very minimal particular set of skills, stealing that from another movie, mm-hmm. he is able to save the day. Um. This franchise seemed to have died, pun intended, after 2013's critical flop, A Good Day to Die Hard. Um, but there was a proposed prequel in the works for some time at 20th Century Fox called Die Hard Year One, which would have been either a movie or a TV show about a young John McClane and a young Holly Gennaro and an event that brought them together. Um mm seems to have been scrapped since the merger with uh, Disney. So we also did a news piece maybe like a year, year and a half ago about something called McLean. Yeah. Which is like another sequel TV. It's like a TV show sequel or is it a prequel? But um, it just feels that there will, there's going to be more there has, there's going to be another diehard movie. Even though Bruce Willis is 65 years old, um, I think after watching A Good Day to Die Hard, the hope was that Jai Courtney and mm-hmm. Mary Elizabeth Winstead might in some capacity help move the McLeans along. But I don't know. I, yeah, unfortunately, I think... And this is not a fault of theirs. Unfortunately, I think, though, as much as the world has tried to make <laughs> Jai Courtney and Mary Elizabeth Winstead stars, it just isn't happening. <laughs> and so it's hard to make them the, like, like I would watch a series, I think, about them as, like, the kids of this guy. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing. Getting back to Die Hard, the original. Love Bruce Willis. I cannot say this enough. I love Bruce Willis. If there's one thing that I have been taught by this podcast, it is that he is the most underrated actor. I think, like, we we truly do not give this man enough credit, especially because, I don't know if you watched um, uh, the Netflix series about, like, the making of iconic movies. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I watched this episode. There was, like, there was a whole episode about Die Hard, and I think one of the most fascinating things to me is that when they picked Bruce Willis to be in this movie, it was a total long shot. Like, essentially a core group of people were like, yeah, like he's a star of television and of comedy and 
Like we think he can do it, but from the public view, this this would not have made any sense because people would have seen him and things that they like wouldn't make him make them want to go watch an action movie with him in it necessarily. And he showed up in a big way and yeah. I think helped create this like massive character and larger than life movie that really set him on a different trajectory. Um he he was on a show called Moonlight where he was sort of like a sardonic kind of like I think he was like an agent or something like that and everyone just knew him as that character mm-hmm. and this was my favorite part of that documentary is that like the studio was so shook after an audience of movie theater full of people booed Bruce Willis at the trailer and like laughed at him that they took his face off the poster yeah and it wasn't until after it was a smash success that they put it back on. His agent negotiated that Bruce Willis get like a cool million dollars up front because they were worried that if this flopped, mm-hmm. his career would be dead. So at least he would be like set for life <laughs> like, or to some capacity. Like that's Little crazy. did they know, little Bruce did they know Willis. that Bruce Willis with a full head of hair is truly unstoppable. <laughs> I mean, I like bald Bruce Willis too, but like a hundred percent, he's unstoppable he's just, in he, any way. But like, I feel like, and it's it, his career maybe only works this way, where with the benefit of hindsight, we can look back and be like, wow, he was good at everything he did. Yeah, we've we've recast Bruce Willis a couple times, fifth, sixth, um, fifth element. I can't remember the episode, and then I. Armageddon, probably mm-hmm. sometime last summer. Twelve monkeys. Um, it's twelve monkeys. It's hard. It's mm-hmm. fucking hard. Yeah. Um. All right. Well, let's get into this movie because I think most people have seen, um, Die Hard. I, I will admit, Die Hard One is the one I think I've seen the least. I think mm-hmm. I've seen three the most. I've seen four the second most. Two I've seen a lot, but one like I rewatched one a couple weeks ago and I was just like, man. There's a reason this is fucking classic. It's yeah. it's it's like the arrival of Bruce Willis and Alan Rickman together. Yeah. Like, woof. It's hard. So um let's get into it. Let's start with John McClane. Let's just keep talking about our beloved Bruce Willis. Oh, I could um, do it forever. Like- I love Bruce Willis. All right. Um this character, I tried, I think, with the benefit of knowing. Bruce Willis's background and kind of feeling that thing of like, there is something about the character that really feels like he's coming into his own. There's a softness about him. Like he's like carrying a giant teddy bear through LAX. We know he's a, he's a family man. Like what? I mean, I could spend this whole podcast talking about what, (laughs) whatever is going on in John and Holly's relationship. I'm so curious about, all of that. But you get the idea that like, he's, he's trying to make up for something. He's doing his best, but he really doesn't know what he's doing. He's in a whole other world. He's a New York city cop and he doesn't want to leave that job, but he has to go all the way across the country to try to make amends with his wife and see his kids because it's Christmas. And he ends up in this insane scenario where he has to like really show up 
And so I was like, how do you balance that thing of like family man really trying to like get back into the family and huge explosions jumping off of buildings action star all is one. Just trying to fire then a thousand year old Twinkie. What do they put in these things anyway? Sugar enriched flour, partially hydrogenated vegetable oil, polysorbate 60 and yellow dye number five. Just everything a growing boy needs. How many kids you got, Al? Well, as a matter of fact, my wife is working on our first. How about you, cowboy? You got any kids back on your ranch? Yeah, two. Sure hope I can see him swinging on a jungle gym with Al Jr. someday. I don't know if I did it, but I picked for my John McClane, Jonathan Majors, star of Mm -hmm. Lovecraft Country, um, which I really wish that show was better. Uh, I know. But I I think he's really good. Uh, because I think in the sort of John McClane way, he is built like an action hero, but like a hundred percent, you can see this guy shooting guns and jumping off buildings, but also there's a softness to him coming into this sort of like, I guess I need to apologize to my wife, but I'm like, not really sure where we're at kind of approach to then see that turn. I can see him doing, what do you think? He was my number two, and I think the mm. only reason I wasn't the only reason I didn't pick him is because I picked him recently for like an action movie thing. And I, I think I, so I was too. Just very, I was very conscious of like I'm going to need him mm. for something else. So I, I I agree with you. He's a great choice for this. Um, Bruce Willis, I think, was like 33 when this movie came out. Is really yeah. I guess I guess it's just like a of the times where it's like. It feels weird to me that like a 33-year-old would have two kids, but it it, it it's fine. It makes sense. You know what it I mean? It was the like, 80s. <laughs> I say um, that like, like that makes it better. But I agree with you. The guy has the build to make you think that he could take on an army of people, mm-hmm. but also like he's so good of an actor. Like he is absolutely a great choice for this. Um, I... This is one. This is sort of a cast. Like last week, you were like, I picked people that like aud- our audience might not know very well. Like that's me this week. Like I, okay. I picked, I picked an unknown for my John McClane, a, a relative unknown for John McClane, because I like the idea that like Bruce Willis was sort of plucked from like TV mm-hmm. to be like a movie action star. So I really tried to challenge myself. Not that it wasn't already challenging, but. I just like that history behind Die Hard where it's like yeah. Bruce Willis might not have made it if not for this movie. So I was like, I'm going to search and find someone that I think has the potential to maybe, maybe break out in this in a similar way. I mean, no guarantees or anything, but um, I picked an actor who stars on a Cinemax show <gasps> called Warrior He's also made appearances on Peaky Blinders and American Gods, and he's okay. going to unfortunately be in some stupid G.I. Joe movie with Henry Golding. But um, his actor's name is Andrew Koji, and <laughs> I watched um, a few episodes of Warrior, and this guy is – I love this guy. He has this, like, cool confidence about him. He's a badass. Like, he he just seems to have – 
like there are certain moments in that show where I felt that he was giving me John McClane vibes of like a sardonic mm-hmm. guy who's just looking like who's just trying to like, you know, make his way through this situation. I was just like an Asian action star. Sign me the fuck up. Like, yeah. please. I don't know. That's just who I. Okay. I, okay. I don't who think. I, went with. I don't think I know him. Not many people do. He's going to be in fucking Snake Eyes. I don't know. I'm like, what? Well, I don't know. Low-key, I'm into Snake Eyes because I'm like, absolutely. I feel like somebody saw Henry Golding and was like, let's give him a movie. And I was like, (laughs) yeah, he's got, he's like, he's got all sorts of movie star qualities. Like, we're, we're like shocked that he can do it. What? Because he's Asian? Don't get me started. But I think like he's been in like a ton of stuff. And so I'm like a little shocked that I can't like remember his face, but I'm into this. I think if you see potential uh, Bruce Willis blossoming out of this film qualities, then I believe it's true because it really happened. This is what I, yeah. this is what I know. This guy is, is pretty much unknown. Um, but he has a scene in Peaky Blinders where he's like across the table from your your main guy, Killian Murphy. And mm-hmm. I'm just like, that's not an easy thing to do. Yeah. Like for anyone. Like Killian Murphy is a like a really fucking good actor. And I'm yeah. just like, that's where I'm seeing the glimmer of like, hey, like this guy, if this guy can like sit in the scene and go toe to toe with, you know, one of the, the better thespians of this generation, like. I just he's got it. I just, I just, I'm like, he's going to be in this fucking ninja movie. And then everyone's just going to think he's just like the ninja guy. And yeah. I, I'm like, I hope he, I hope he gets a different Avenue. So I'm giving yeah. it to him here. Uh, guys, I know you're all sitting in your car listening to this podcast <laughs> being like, who the fuck is this person? But I'm telling you, I think he's got potential. This is what we're here to do. Give chances to people that we don't actually have the power to give chances to. This is what we're here to (laughs) do. Totally. Um, Um, Let's move on to Al. Sergeant Al Powell, played by Reginald Vell Johnson, a.k.a. uh, Oh, shit. What is his fucking name? Carl. Uh, Carl Winslow. Carl Winslow. Right. Um, I love how John and Al are the real romantic couple of the movie. It's like... (laughs) It's like when they, it's like the end of Sleepless in Seattle, like when they get to meet each other at the end and look at each other face to face. (laughs) I love Reginald Bill Johnson in this movie because there is something so perfect about this like unassuming beat cop who has the sensibility to connect with John in a way that makes him vital and then ultimately they have this great like revelatory moment where he's like, like, I'm not just like a desk jockey for no reason. Like something happened and he like re- bears his soul <laughs> while all the, while all the bank robbers are listening on the, that's the thing that really blew my mind is I was like, every time they're on the radio, everyone can hear what you're doing. And they're yeah. like having these very like special moments. <laughs> Anyway, um, but like his performance is, ge- there's something so like genuinely truthful about it that again is really hard to capture in recasting because who else? And maybe it is because we're used to seeing him as a cop. Like <laughs> we just, know. that's the power of TV. I, I also feel similar because the actor that I picked, it was like, I do kind of feel that 
Reginald Vell Johnson in this role it is iconic. And it's like, I don't want to mess with that too much. Like, uh, I, I, I ended up picking uh, Brian Tyree Henry. Oh, I love that. Atlanta Joker into the Spider Verse. I mean, this guy works, man. Like, he's yeah. really, I don't know if you've seen the movie Widows, but like, fuck, he's so, so good. good in that. But he plays cops a lot. And I think that got stuck in my mind that I was just like, I want to keep this an African American, uh, like an unappreciated beat cop. Mm-hmm. And he's just like, he's just played cops in so many things that I'm just like, I think he just has to, he ha- it's, it's just kismet to me currently. Maybe it's typecasting, but I don't know. It's just, that's where I went. I love that though, because I think as a character actor, Brian Tyree Henry is really carving a niche for himself where like, it's not necessarily specific to cops, but when I see him in a movie, I'm just, I'm there for like, oh yeah. Like he's in that um, HBO Max movie with um, Melissa McCarthy. He's in that. He's in this uh, like action comedy with her, and it's he weirdly is one of those comforting actors now. Where I'm like, okay, you're gonna play this sort of like hardened, uh, trying to do like underground business in a in a dirty world, a la widows, or like you're the you're like the kind neighbor in like Child's Play, or you're mm-hmm. you're the CIA worker helping Melissa McCarthy in this movie, like every little thing I'm like, yeah, a hundred percent. He could do that. So as soon as you say his name, I'm like, absolutely. He's going to make this work. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I keep thinking about into the spider verse where he like has that scene where he plays a cop. He plays miles, dad. And Mm -hmm. they have that like really heart wrenching scene between the door. I'm like, he's just so good. He's just really good. Anyways. Um, I, I went a little bit of a different direction, I think, because there is something so pointed about the story he tells John about why he's at a desk and he's telling him that he shot a kid and he's very aware that he did something wrong and that it like he doesn't necessarily trust himself out on the street in the same way he used to, because he knows like if I had to pull my gun again, would I do it? because of what I've done in the past. And Mm -hmm. there's something very prescient about that story, uh, about that backstory and about him being so self-aware of the responsibility that cops take on when handling deadly weapons. I had an accident. The way you drive, I can see why. What'd you do? Run over your cabin, flip the car. I shot a kid. He was 13 years old. Oh, it was dark. I couldn't see him. He had a ray gun look real enough. You know, when you're a rookie, they can teach you everything about being a cop except how to live with a mistake. Anyway, I just couldn't bring myself to draw my gun on anybody again. Uh, I wanted, I kind of wanted the cop to be white because I think it tells a different story to have a white cop be more aware of his responsibility and um, what what he what he should and shouldn't be doing after a situation like that. Um, mm-hmm. But also someone who can be relatable and funny uh, with John. So I picked Wyatt Russell. Oh, nice! Yeah, I like that. And I felt really good about that. I love Wyatt Russell 
I wish his show on AMC was better. I don't know what that Lodge 49, fuck, yeah. like, what is happening there? But um, he's really charming. Like, I mean, he's, you know, he's the son of two of the best actors <laughs> of time. Like, There is just something really genuinely charming about him um, in a way that would be fun. Like, yeah. I, I want him to be lighthearted. Like, I still want that moment where the body hits his car and he absolutely loses his shit to be <laughs> that funny. But for him to also come around and really be able to, like, relate to John. I think that's a great pick. Good job. We're doing great. I think we're, we're t- fucking. We're nailing it. We're nailing it. All right. Holly. Yes. Holly Gennaro McLean. Yes. Is that where we're going? Yes. Played by Bonnie Bedelia. Fun fact, Bonnie Bedelia is Macaulay Culkin's aunt. Isn't that crazy? He's the, he's, he's the aunt of the McCulkins. That's crazy. Um, also didn't realize she was the fucking mom in parenthood. Oh. Also didn't realize that she was, uh, she was sexy. She's, she's a sexy <laughs> lady. Like, oh my God. Holly, Holly kicks so then much and ass. Now. She just des- she deserves so much credit in this movie. Like I said, for being the backbone of like this is something a genuine remake of this exact story needs is more emphasis on the fact that Holly is really holding stuff together in <laughs> in the like in the hostage sector. Like mm-hmm. she is really keeping things together and she's so great. Like the way that this is acted is so subtle and I just, I love it. I think she does great. And she's a character that I feel like we don't actually talk about that much. Um, is it my turn? I believe it is. Yes. Um, okay. So for my Holly McLean, I picked Megan Faye who you might know as one of the stars of the bold type. She plays Sutton and she's my favorite character of the bold type. I think she's a great actress and I think she serves that sort of like really confident boss babe energy while still being like soft enough to be like very worried, but absolutely like walking into Hans's office and being like, and you know what? We're going to take a couch for the pregnant lady. And you know what else? We're going to take bathroom breaks. And that's it. And you're just going to give it to us. And then Hans is just like, yeah, you're right. You're 100% right. Um, I don't know this actress. Um, I have not seen the bold type. I'm trying to look through her IMDb to try and see what I might have seen of hers. I saw Miss Sloan, but I don't remember <laughs> her in that. <laughs> Um, but I believe you. I, I I will take your word that this is a, a Holly McLean type. I what I I had this weird idea for Holly McLean that maybe it makes it better, maybe it makes it worse. Mm-hmm. But Holly McLean might be my second favorite action movie wife behind Jamie Lee Curtis and True Lies. Mm-hmm. Um, but she doesn't have much to do. Like she has that great scene where she confronts Han. Uh, Hans and um, you know really stands up for her coworkers. Really, is someone who's like respected the, her boss for like giving her this position and and the company that like believed in her and even mm-hmm. her shitty coworker. She's like caught. She like you know entertains 
like yeah the idea that like she would ever sleep with him but she's just like all right buddy like just relax um but i wish that she had more to do i I was trying to think of like a subplot maybe for her so she's not just like in the movie for like six minutes just like sitting there Mm -hmm. um and i was just sort of like in a real situation like this i just feel like there would be something amongst the hostages where it's like some people would want to like make a run for it some people would just like cower and give up um her shitty co-workers just thinking about herself and she's trying to like manage everyone like i the idea that she's keeping everyone calm and they've elected her as like a leader i was like i want to see more of that like maybe one or two scenes where it's like the hostages are kind of getting out of hand and like people are losing their lives and like it's a ticking clock for John. And then it's like Holly's trying to ma- manage that area. Does that work or is that like so unnecessary to the point of this movie? I I don't think it is because I agree. Like they created a compelling character in her and then didn't service her. Like there is no moment where we get to see what she's about beyond her kind of taking this moment of like I'm in charge because like you killed my boss and I don't know how other people feel about it but I would like to see more of that I agree I think there is a certain there is a small sub story of the that's less like I mean we get a little bit of it when like Ellis goes to try to like strike a deal Eh. (laughs) like i think i'd rather see more of the drama of him being like no babe i got it and her being like you absolutely do not got it please calm down like i think that's a little more interesting i want to see more of there is there is one of those scenes between her and john where she lays out the exact reason why their marriage isn't working is because john has an old way of thinking about marriage and holly doesn't I missed you. I guess you didn't miss my name, though, huh? Except maybe when you're signing checks. Since when did you start using Ms. Gennaro? It's a Japanese company. They figure a married woman's got You are a married fun. woman, Holly. You're married to oh, me. We're going to have this Remember conversation again. We did this in July. We never a, finished this conversation in July. I had an opportunity. I had yeah, to take right. it. Right. No matter what the consequences, no what matter you, what it did to our marriage, it you had to take it. didn't do anything to our marriage except maybe change your idea of what our marriage should be. I don't think you have a clue as to what my idea of our I marriage should exactly be. I know exactly what your idea of our marriage should be. Holly got a job offer at this very, you know, exclusive company. Like, it... it not many women have this position she's in. Like it's something she has to do. And John is a fucking cop. Like you could be a cop anywhere. If you're going to be a cop, you can be a cop anywhere. Like, I'm sorry. You don't have to be a New York cop. And I was like, that is so good for an action movie to put a female like that in this movie. And then to just sort of forget about her in that way, like for a while is, is, um, it it sucks. It's like you you want her to be able to do something while John is running around killing people in a more hollow. I'm not saying she grabs a gun and fucking then there's two McLeans running around, but like there there has to be something for her to do. Multiple McLeans. I don't know. Yeah. Hey, just wait for my diehard six pitch. I'm telling you guys, it's gonna be great. <laughs> um, um did I say my pick? I don't think I did. Um 
Anyways, I ended up picking Riley Keough. I, you know, mm. that's a name I think a lot more people know. Uh, I think she's a fucking badass. I think she um, can play all of the qualities of Holly, like just someone who um, picks her picks her career and her children above, you know, anything else. It's like, I'm going to take this job because it's going to give my children a better life. And if my fucking husband doesn't like that he can go kick rocks like i'm going to fucking kick ass yeah and then you know tara show up and she's just so smart that she just like realizes like the best thing to do is just not make them mad let's let them do their thing and whatever but um that's who i picked that i love that a hundred thousand percent i think she's so good uh like absolutely Again, another rushing this. Another <laughs> actress where I'm like, she's. I feel like we've said this before. She's so good, and that we still find her doing like smaller indie roles. Where I'm like, okay, give her, give her a shot for Die Hard. I know. Once a month, I'm like, why was she on Riverdale for an episode? I was like, what is going on? She should. She's so good. She's a movie. She's like in movies. Why is she? I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> She's you really almost said person. she's a movie star, and then you said she's in movies. Well, the, the I, decline. I know that you would disagree <laughs> with me that she's not a movie star, but like the decline. We should do a whole episode where we talk about what a movie star is, guys. There are no movie stars. Um, I feel like your definition is they have to be painted on the wall of an LA diner. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I just there's a certain i mean not to sound like an asshole but like <laughs> there is a certain like je ne sais quoi about an actor that makes them movie star material that is so much harder to identify in your own time and so when people throw around that people are movie stars i'm like i don't know <laughs> i don't i really don't know um um that's for yeah we'll do a whole movie star podcast we'll just <laughs> Um, speaking of movie stars, I'm sorry, Alan Rickman. Alan Rickman was a movie star, in my opinion. And I miss him constantly. I think between yeah. him and Robert Williams, I'm just like, I miss Alan Rickman in my life. Yeah. Um, Alan Rickman as Hans Gruber. Also fresh. Role? Yeah. He was a, um, a theater actor prior to this. Most like Shakespearean, classically trained they cast him in this movie, and again, it was like, I I guess we're going to try this out. It worked incredibly well. Um, I, I love his villain's entrance in this. Uh, it's like it's like he's in like a new wave music video. <laughs> it's so <laughs> like slick and assured. It just it just works. So this is hard. So I, I kind of, I don't know if this was the easy way, but is whose turn is it? My turn? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I wanted just a really fucking good actor who mm-hmm. was ma- magnetic on screen, who can play the cool aristocratic psychopath that Alan Rickman nailed. Um, I went with Andrew Scott of Fleabag fame, of Sherlock fame, uh, in 1917 fame. Uh, I think this guy, uh, I think he's great. I think people are now, he's still a little unknown, but I think American audiences are coming 
more aware of, of becoming more aware of who he is and, and his work. Um, but if not, yeah, I, I picked Hot Priest to just be the bad guy. This is good. Like, I don't even want to say who I picked. That's how good this is. Oh, my gosh. I was nervous there for a second. This is so you good. Like, you were shaking your head like, <laughs> I don't think so. I love Andrew Scott. I think he is so funny and interesting and like a little – like, he can be charming but also a little scary he he really has it, and I I certainly hope post uh, Fleabag season two, like people really see. Because I mean, I feel like a, a a niche like audience for Sherlock really liked him uh, mm-hmm. as Moriarty, but I think Fleabag also like opened fresh eyes to to him. Like, yeah, like he's one of those people where I'm like, I, I love him every time I see him. He's so like he has such a small part in 1917. So funny and compelling. Like he's so good. He makes so a, good. a great villain. This is so good, Brian. <laughs> I feel like I finally made you proud. <laughs> After 108 episodes. This is, 109 episodes, this is so it. good. Like this is like I am all in on this movie. Thank all you. in. You know, it's the scene in particular that Alan Rickman nails is when he's like, he gets caught by John McClane. Hans Gruber gets caught by John McClane and then immediately puts on an American accent and mm-hmm. pretends to be one of the hostages. Yeah. And it's that performance of Alan Rickman that makes Hans Gruber so fucking interesting and so like smart and clever. And I love the story of how, did you remember the story of how they came up with this idea? Because they were like, we need a way for the characters to meet. Mm. But as soon as they meet, John McClane would just kill Hans Gruber. Yeah. So they were like at the craft services table and they were like talking about accents. And someone asked Alan Rickman if he could do like an American accent. He was like, I can, but it has to be like a Californian accent. And he just started doing like a Californian accent. And the writer was like, that's it. it. He's he'll pretend to be one of the hostages. And I was just like, that's the scene where I would see Andrew Scott, like living up to Alan Rickman's performance. Just be just chameleoning all of these like sort of levels to Hans Gruber. I'm John McClane. You're uh Clay. Now to use a handgun, Bill. I spent a weekend at a combat ranch. You know that game with the guns that shoot red paint? Probably seems kind of stupid to you. Well, time for the real thing, Bill. All you gotta do is pull the trigger. Put down the gun and give me my detonators.
No, that's so good. I agree. Even though I, I, I'm always surprised by movies like this, how when they happen into something that works, because like there is a point where when they meet, and even like with the accent affected, there's a piece of you that's like, shouldn't they know who they are? And then thinking about it, you're like, no, they haven't seen each other very specifically. Like it, it's constructed well, where there's like that part of you that's like exactly. But then ultimately, when you have the turnaround, where like he gets the gun, and you realize that John like never intended to give him a loaded gun, like the cat and the mouse in the um. <laughs> Okay, so for my Hans Gruber, I went on a whole journey because I watched, I was re-watching a movie, a Korean movie uh, last week, and just really thinking about how annoying it is that, like, there were so many great actors in this movie, and... I think I know what you're talking about. Okay. And just thinking to myself, and so I started like looking up the main actor and realizing that he is essentially like a superhero in Korea and nobody knows about him in America aside from this one bigger movie that people might have known about. And I was just really shocked by that because I was like, wow, he's so good. I mean, everybody in this movie is so good. And I was just so annoyed because I'm like, I see this guy (laughs) because my favorite thing about Hans, I think, is that we're right. Like we keep saying terrorists. They're not terrorists. They're robbers. They're bank robbers, essentially. There's something very slick. There's something very um, like it's all very like premeditated and thought out. It's very uh, like clean, like Hans shows up in a suit to do business. It's not like he's like a rough and tumble, like skinhead, like coming in just to punch people in the face. Like it is all very put together. So I, you're not going to know who this actor is. I'm sorry to the people, but here's my recommendation for you. Go watch train to Busan. It is a Korean zombie movie that is so full of heart. (laughs) That sounds insane, but it really is. Um, so you can see your performance by Gong Yu, who is the star of the movie. He plays uh, the main character, the dad to the little girl, um, who I picked to play Hans Gruber because I just think he's so good. And I thought, could this, like, who is just absolutely like a very, like, put together person who I could see serving some of these, like, kind but dark lines? to John. I think it's him. So yeah, purely by the name, you're like not going to know who this guy is and that's okay, but he's very famous in other parts of the world. So (laughs) I'm going to give him a shot here. I would say definitely if people out there haven't seen train to Busan, go watch train to Busan. I also think the sequel just came out, which I'm excited Mm -hmm. to watch. Uh, Peninsula. Peninsula. I, um, was not expecting this was the Korean actor that you were talking about. I thought you were going to pick the the dad from Parasite, but. Oh, <laughs> hmm. also would have been great. Also would have been great. But having seen Train to Busan, I think this is really, um, I'm going to say the word interesting, but I don't mean it in the derogatory sense that sometimes we throw that word wow. around. Wow. He's, he's talking about me. He doesn't mean for him. He means me. <laughs> That character and that movie was so fucking crazy because 
I kept hating his guts like the whole time, almost just until the end where he finally does the right fucking thing for his daughter. <laughs> You're like, I don't know. I, I, I want to go back and rewatch it because this is a really, I don't want to dismiss it because he's really good in that fucking movie. He's I just think, playing a completely different thing. But I think like, you'll find the turn in the movie happens quicker than you think. Well, without going into too much uh, detail about what Train to His Son is about, like there is just something, I think there's a quality about him that is very like, is very strong. And I think he like, not to say like, I want to introduce him to as someone who is like a foreign actor that could be introduced as a villain, which I think is a trope that weirdly American movies love to play with. But um, I just, I think he would be a strong actor to do that. But I just, I just think he's really good all around. So (laughs) he is very good. And if I'm casting my lead for an Asian action star, why can't we fucking have an Asian bad guy? Like, fuck. Yeah. Let's, let's do it. I'm all in. Let's fucking ride. (laughs) Like I want to see people like me on screen. It's true. Like, I was so upset the more I was watching because I was like, yeah, I remember really liking this movie on first watch. But then as I kept watching, I was like, all of these. And sure, one of those actors is going to be in like a Marvel movie. So disregard everything I'm saying. But like, it's one of those things where I'm like, why? Why is it? Why is it like there is a separation of like, you know, the film industry is booming in South Korea. So like, why are why are we not drawing each other's like actors? I, I don't know. Maybe it's more of a language barrier or like a drama barrier, but I don't know. I agree. Like, I, I think Korea is a Korea is such a huge fucking market for movies. Like, I, I would love to watch way more Korean movies than we than we get. Um, and I would love to see American actors go to Korea and like, like if Matt Damon can make the fucking Great Wall for China, I, I'm sure <laughs> right. that we can get someone to make a better uh. movie for Korea. Um, okay, I think that's really interesting, and, I, and I'm all for it. So I think we did. I think we made some really cool casting decisions for this movie. Mm-hmm. I think there's just only one more casting decision we have left. Mr. Barry Pepper, come on down. Where does Barry Pepper go? This is hard because truly, Barry Pepper could go anywhere. It's the opposite problem of last week, where he couldn't right. go anywhere, and now there's so many places we can put him. I made him Dwayne T. Robinson, played by Paul Gleason, the FBI. Me uh, too. Great. I just think like William Atherton's character, whose name I always forget. I just know him as William Atherton. Uh, I probably would want a different, smarmier character actor in there, mm. but like. Uh, Paul Gleason's character is just like sort of the the absolutely like shit show federal agent who just just botches the whole thing. I, I think that's that, that seems to be more Barry's wheelhouse. And there's something kind of juicy about it. Like and Paul Gleason plays it so well. The idea that like he he is so certain he's right, but he's so obviously wrong. Like there is something yeah. there's something a little more juicier about that than even like like the guy who comes in later who gets himself killed. Like, I think that's way more interesting for, for our Barry Pepper, our sweet, <laughs> dear Barry Pepper. Sweet, sweet Barry Peps. Um, 
So I don't have any other like trivia stuff. I mean, this is like such a classic movie. Like people have written books about this movie, that great series on Netflix, like um, the movies we love check out the Die Hard episode. Uh, It goes into like a full detail of like all the decisions that were made behind, you know, making the film. Um, Do you have anything? I'm realizing I wrote a lot of notes about like the terror, like the group of, of robbers. (laughs) That we like haven't talked about at all. <laughs> the entire reason <laughs> why they're there. There's so many. Well, there's just so many side characters and so many like interesting. Like I remember I wrote down at one point, I was like, I genuinely like Theo, who is the character that they bring, who is, I guess, the specialist to help them break into the vault. It might be because of Walker, Texas Ranger. But I was just like, I, I mean, I don't dislike this man. So even though he is robbing the place i i love the little bit that like one of the terrorists was like a famous dancer you, you remember that like he was like a ballet he's like a premier ballet dancer and they were yeah, like the it's, director. it's like he just has the look he'd be great it's the one with the glasses right he's the tall long blonde haired guy i mean they're all blonde but like he has like <laughs> long blonde hair and like john mcclain kills his brother and he's the one who's like after oh McClane. yeah Carl. Um, he, Carl. He was like a ball. He was like a ballerina. Um, are men ballerinas? I think they're all ballerinas, right? Oh, I don't know. A ballet dancer. Uh, ballerinos. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I was watching. I finally got through to Die Hard Five, and I was the one of the villains is like has this whole story point where he was like, I wanted to be a dancer. And I was like, this is so stupid. Like, why would you write this? And then it didn't dawn on me until after that. I was like, oh, it's a callback to the fucking guy in Die Hard One. Like, anyways. Also, would you remake this? I don't know. I, this is a genuine question. And I kept thinking back to the the like Netflix show because I was like, do they explain why it's called Die Hard? Is it because he's hard to kill? I think so. I thought that was like, it was a Joel Silver note. So this movie was produced by Joel Silver. And it was like something where like the helicopter had to crash on the roof. And it has to be called Die Hard. Because it was based off a book. Yeah. Um, It's like, it's one of those things that when you think about it in the... In the in the realm of like uh, famous movies, you're like, yeah, Die Hard. Die Hard is a good movie. It's called Die Hard. But when you think about what it means, what does it what does it mean? I think it means hard to kill. Okay. Well, which is another movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, they couldn't call it hard to kill. Um, or it means if you're gonna die, die hard, bro. <laughs> you're gonna die you better die die hard hard. yeah die hard or go home um (laughs) (laughs) i mean literally Uh, those are the only two choices you either die or you get to leave would you remake this movie i don't know I mean, it's hard because so many sequels have happened, and I think there is stuff planned for the future. It's hard to be like, yes, absolutely. But also, I think there's a part of me that wants to see this first movie rebooted. So you're 50-50. Yeah. I'm really not sure. 
Okay. So I wouldn't remake this movie. What I would do, what I would prefer is for a final diehard to send this series off. There's nothing wrong with having finite, uh, something that's finite and encapsulating. I think this whole podcast is about the meta idea that everything is just continuing and keeping going. And it's like, we don't need that. We can stop things. (laughs) They're good. (laughs) And it's good. It's good. We don't have to keep doing this. Um, Okay. Yeah. Let's green light it. Let's go. go. All right, guys. Thank you so much for joining us this year on Rebooted. I know it's been tough out there for everybody. Hopefully this podcast has brought you some sort of joy or reprieve from the madness and the chaos. Um, We'll always have movies to watch. We'll always have ways to escape whatever's ailing us. So I hope we have added to that, uh, you know, kind of um, joy. I will cautiously say, yeah, this is all for joy. Every, everything. <laughs> so, um, thank you for joining us this year. We'll be back next year. Um, probably take a couple months off because uh, we've been busting our ass all year uh, despite the pandemic. But um, please check out our past episodes. We'll see you in 2021. It's going to be exciting. Tell your friends and family. Kenneth, where can people find us? You can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. Stop by and leave us a rating and a review the best way to help us out you can also find us now on Kofi, where you can go to make a very small donation to help us keep making this podcast that link is in our description and all over twitter speaking of twitter you can find us on all social media at rebooted pod check it out right all right guys we will see you next year yippee kaye melon <laughs> trying to think of two other words and i literally couldn't think of any so oh, there we are there we are. All right. Bye. Bye. Snow's on the ground, snow white so bright. In the fireplace is the Yule log. Beneath the mistletoe as we drink eggnog. The rhymes that you hear are the rhymes of Gerald. Like each and every year we bust Christmas carols. Christmas carols. Eat it, Harvey.